This episode of Nigerian American contains language that may not be suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Nigerian American. My name is LD, and this is my podcast. Podcast. About a week ago, my daughter Toke got inducted into the National Beta Club. The National Beta Club is an invitation-only club, and it's the largest youth organization in America. To get in, you have to be the cream of the crop academically, and you also have to have displayed exemplary behavior. Very few kids make it in, so it was a very proud moment for my wife and I. Like her oldest sister, Timmy, she's been on the principal's honor roll since kindergarten. Being top of the class is something we take for granted in my household. I was a straight-A student. My wife, Dolly, was a straight-A student as well. In fact, growing up, most of my siblings were straight-A students too. And I know it sounds like a flex, I know. And where we come from, (laughs) it is a flex. It may be the most important of all flexes, actually. In the average Nigerian household, academic excellence is considered the highest priority. And it's not enough to just go to college. Both my wife and I have master's degrees. Getting a bachelor's degree is considered, you know, entry level. Got to take it all the way to the highest possible height. If you're Nigerian or if you're close to any Nigerians, you probably already know that the average Nigerian family raises children to value academic excellence above everything else. And those who can afford to go all the way to doctorate degrees. This phenomenon explains much of what you may see as the academic excellence of Nigerians in the diaspora. We don't only want our kids to top their class whenever it's financially possible. We send them to the best colleges around the world and we push them all the way. It's the pride and glory of every Nigerian family. Oh, my daughter is studying law at Harvard. Her younger brother is at Stanford. That's how Nigerian parents flex. There's a common saying in Nigeria and one that people take very seriously. You are either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a disgrace. Nigerian Americans have more postgraduate degrees than any other racial or ethnic groups in the U.S. And for context, Nigerians are less than 2% of the black population in the U.S., yet we make up nearly 25% of all black students at Harvard Business School. It's no surprise that Nigerian Americans' educational achievements top any other U.S. immigrant group, including European Americans and Asian Americans. And the success that comes with such high performance is evident in all disciplines that we venture into, whether it's tech, music, medicine, investment banking, law, or even nursing, we play at the highest levels. In recent times, many young Nigerians have chosen to venture outside of the lawyer, doctor, engineer framework, and there is still significantly high levels of success, whether it's in music, film, sports, or even journalism. For example, Imeime Umana, the first black woman to be elected as president of the Harvard Law Review, is Nigerian-American. Names like David Oyelowo, 
Uzo Aduba, Rotimi, Tommy Adeyemi, Chimamanda Adichie, Davido, Jidenna, Hakim Olajuwon, Chiwetele Jiofo, Giannis Adetokumbo, Deborah Yorande, Yvonne Orji. These are household names in the U.S. We can go on all day if I want to list accomplished Nigerians in America alone. Talk less of Europe, Asia, and even on the African continent. I mean, obviously, Nigerians are not the only immigrant communities that excel in the diaspora. There are people of other ethnicities, but Nigerian Americans are peculiar. I'm Nigerian American, so yes, there may be some bias. But the statistics and data definitely back me up on this. Watching Toke walk up to receive her certificate and pen, it didn't feel strange at all. We've become used to it. It's just what you do. You go to school, you top your class, you get awards, then you go to college, you get more awards, you graduate, and then you start off with a six-figure income. We don't do average, and we don't even consider top five to be good enough. You have to be top 1%. Every smart Nigerian kid has heard this once or more from their parent. Oh, wow. So you came second. You tried. But uh, the person that came first in your class, does that person have two heads? Eh? Instead of you to sit down and read, you'll be playing PlayStation. Yep. Coming second in a class of 30 kids is not enough of an achievement for a Nigerian parent. It's rarely worthy of praise. What's even crazier is after topping the class, a couple times it becomes the standard. So if you slip up a little bit, just a slight slip in grades could have emotional or even sometimes physically devastating consequences. For many Westerners, this high expectation attitude could be perceived as callous or uncaring. But know this, it is what fuels much of the success you see within Nigerian immigrant communities. I've always wondered about this phenomenon because while there are lots of positive outcomes due to its prevalence, I've also imagined what eventually becomes of the kids that just aren't able to meet those expectations. Everybody can't come first. I know from personal experience that it's possible to have an intelligent kid that can smash through tests, but then the kid is not quite smart and vice versa. I've also always imagined that there's got to be more to life than having fantastic grades. I know because I had fantastic grades. And while I consider myself lucky, I know a lot of people who also had fantastic grades, but didn't quite live out the same outcome. I also know a lot of people that were really, really smart, but just didn't have good grades. Reading Malcolm Gladwell's best-selling book, Outliers has also changed my perspective on achievement and failure as cultural phenomena. Another really interesting read is a book I read a while ago by Paul Tuff titled How Children Succeed. I highly recommend those two books for any parent that is looking to get a deeper understanding of the most important success factors. So in this episode of Nigerian American, I want us to explore an idea. One that made me think deeply about the culture of high expectation that is very common among Nigerian Americans and some Asians. The idea came up in a discussion I had with Dizzy a few weeks ago. 
Dizzy and I have been friends for over 20 years, and though we haven't hung out since before the pandemic, we've kept in touch. We don't speak as often as we should, but, you know, whenever we get a chance to, we have long extended conversations about a lot of things, family, friends, you know, general well-being. I particularly enjoy conversations with Dizzy because there are very few people who know me as well and for as long as he does. He was my fellow studio rat back in Lagos, Nigeria, when I was still grinding to create what eventually became this global phenomenon called Afrobeats. I met Dizzy through his brother, Levan, who was also studying architecture at the University of Lagos, where I got my architecture degree. Unfortunately, we lost Levan in 2010, which is about two years after Dizzy migrated to the U.S. from Nigeria. Dizzy ended up on the West Coast in California, so we've only been able to hang out in person a few times in the U.S., but you know, every time we catch up over the phone, we have long, interesting, and typically extended conversations. I've actually joked with Dizzy a lot about how we ought to record some of our calls, but it's usually so spur of the moment that I never get a chance to do so. A few weeks ago, Dizzy and I were discussing some of our challenges and successes as first-generation Nigerian-Americans living in the U.S. when he uttered a phrase that caught my attention. I reminded him immediately that we were due to record one of these calls, so he promised to make himself available when I was ready. I called him back and I recorded the conversation. I want you to please listen to the recording. I think it's best you hear it from Dizzy himself. So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about was that conversation we had, right? And I was wondering if we could, like, talk about Nigerians in the diaspora, right. right? And I think you coined it toxic excellence. Was that what you called yeah, it? Yeah, Tox- toxic excellence. Yeah, and it's not just diaspora. It, it's actually uh, every Nigerian. It's almost coded into our fucking culture at this point. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is the idea? Um, where do I start? If you walk into any Ivy League school in America and you see a black person, you don't, you don't ask if they're Nigerian. You tell them you're Nigerian, aren't you? And they say yes. Um, there's a reason for that. It sounds like, oh yeah, we're, uh, we're very brilliant. And it's nice to say. So on the surface, it seems like a flex. The richest black man in the world is Nigerian. The richest black woman in the world is Nigerian. And they're not even friends. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, it seems like a good thing to say, oh, we're dominating spaces. The question we don't ask is why are we dominating spaces? Is because we've been whipped into excellence, which is why I named it toxic excellence. Um, I think we're the only culture, maybe uh, Koreans, or I'm not sure which Asian, East Asian countries that have that, oh, if you don't honor your family such and such way, um, you're essentially uh, a disgrace. Um, and so that's where our drive comes from. Our drive doesn't come from a place of love. It comes from a place of fear. We're afraid of being disowned. We're afraid of not being able to hang out with the boys because this guy no get money. We're afraid of not achieving so that we can sit on the table. And when you look at other cultures, let's say white people, for example, American whites, an average American white can choose to be excellent. He can choose to be Steve Jobs. But if he doesn't and he finds a job at Starbucks, he's still hugged as tightly, if not tighter, at home or at the Thanksgiving table. Mm-hmm. You're still welcome. It's not, ah, look at this, uh, you know, he never gets himself. You know what I mean? There's no, 
There is no spite for the non-successful American. It's as long as you're a good person, the content of your character matches in other cultures. Now, if you bring success with it, hell, fuck yeah, you're the one who leads the table. But if you don't bring success with you and you're just a regular guy who does, who's like a teacher, for example, you also get to sit at the table and hug and and sort of be accepted. No one even thinks about it. That's why when in America, if uh, you say, oh. I don't really want to do university or college. You're not a disgrace to the family. You're just oh, that's the way you want to do things. I guess. I mean, it would be nice if you went to college, but I still love you, son. We don't have that. So what we have in Nigeria as a culture is extreme success, as seen with the richest black woman, as seen in Ivy League、uh, colleges, as seen in the entertainment and art scene. Even our music is popping off like stupid. That's from fear. And then there's the other option of being the hyper academic. I'm the blah blah blah. I have nine PhDs. If you go on any social media now, and you see a black girl celebrating her second, third masters, that's not Ghanaian. That's not South African. That's a Nigerian girl. You don't even need to see her name. Then there's the third one, which is the darkest pit. Since I cannot be a rich person or a hyper academic person. I've got to find money somehow, and where does that lead us? Yahoo, Yahoo, four one nine, you know,、uh, like rituals and shit. So now we have three camps scrambling around the world in any way they can, whether it's academics, whether it's business, whether it's uh, uh, entertainment, or whether it's crime. And this is where our crime、uh, reputation is coming from: is all this grasping at. Needing to be、uh, successful, so unlike most other countries in the world, where the successful people is because I found computer and I loved it and I pursued it, and, I, and then this big thing happened. Right? They are operating from I'm doing what I need to do because this is what fills me with life. Nigerians, we tend to operate from I'm doing whatever it takes. Even though I don't like it, even if it means crime or harming other people, because I am afraid of what it will mean if I am not on this level. It goes much deeper than this, but on the surface, yes, that's what I have decided to call toxic excellence, and、um, and it you know it bothers me. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll be right back. Wow, you know what makes this ring so true is the fact that as Nigerians we have a mentality of only respecting extreme accomplishments. There's no middle ground. You're either all the way at the top or all the way at the bottom. And the worst fear of any Nigerian is ending up at the bottom because at the bottom you can't command any respect. You're seen as insignificant, invalid almost. Yeah, and no one wants to associate with you. So it's not so much just the Oh, I guess you can't pay your rent. It's the shame that comes with it. Do you see what I'm saying?、Mm-hmm. You, in America, you could be a janitor. In in and Sweden, you can be a barista and live a full life. As Nigerians, you don't get that. You don't even get high fives. You'd be lucky to get a woman's number. There are deep consequences to not being successful as a Nigerian. Um, and it's stressful. Um, you. Have found immense success,、um, and 
it, you know it's it's a beautiful thing but the thing is the power that whipped you into that kind of success is what i'm starting to question and say wait 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 i mean it would have been nice to just chill in a in a regular house right would you still love me if i did that <laughs> and now here we are pushing boundaries upon boundaries uh to be uh the best that we can be and so to a great degree i appreciate it because i'm i'm a very ambitious person and i i like success as a whole but in my own way now so what i've done is i've taken this uh coding of the nigerian culture that has pushed me to be to want everything to want the world if you will right uh, mm -hmm. but i have i have fine tuned it to my own particular frequency you know which is why uh if anyone who pays attention to the things i'm doing it seems like ah but monino did it but that's not the point <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. um i've learned to pursue passions and projects based on how it fulfills me right um i've i've come to realize that i would rather uh 90k a year doing something i'm in love with than 900k doing something that just fucking frustrates me right um and yes there is a middle ground of doing the 900k for a minute and then getting back to your passions which is what i'm trying to navigate now but for the most part Nigerians aren't considering the passion side of things. I have so many friends now, um, you know, millennial age, because that's this is the age we're coming into. And these people have uh, big deals in uh, the financial sector here and there. And they're comfortable. You know, some people have gold in their safe that's in their bedroom. That's kind of comfort. Yet they're calling me from around the world. This is not a joke. Uh, me who hasn't made it yet they're calling me to sort of get energy from me like bro i hate my life how do you hate your life you have everything you have a beautiful wife you have a this and that right you have the best car you're laced in designer but you remember something they have to wake up and go to hell in order to live that life right mm -hmm. there is a middle ground where you do what you love and you get fulfillment out of it because 80 percent of your work day is really i mean your work day is really 80 percent of your life when you think about it that's five out of seven days right sometimes you have to do some stuff on the weekend to prepare for the weekday again so there is this complex of work and i guess this work life cycle is is a lot of time and we come from ancestors who didn't have to do that much. What you did is you woke up in the morning, you did two hours of work for the basic needs of shelter and basic needs of hygiene and feeding. And the rest of the 18 hours in your day was for you, family, friends, hanging out, dancing around the campfire. There was a time when we used to, as a species, do the bare minimum so that we don't die and then focus the rest on human connection. And now we've reduced human connection to the very bare minimum. Human connection is at its all-time low. Everyone's at home right. uh, on their phones. Uh, men and women are the loneliest in human history that they've ever been. Gen Z, as a generation, is having the least sex recorded in human history. So there's a lot of disconnect 
uh, and a lot more focus on consumerism and and money making. You know what I mean? So it's it you know. But I guess to 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 tie this back to Nigerians is we are the masters of getting shit done. But Nigerians know they carry last. Do you see what kind of fucking tenets we have? Yes. Do you see the tenets we have embedded in our souls? Okay. For the benefit of those who may not understand, Nigerians they carry last is a pigeon phrase that directly translates to Nigerians never come last. It can also mean Nigerians always strive to come first. It has become our national motto over the last couple of decades and is widely used in Nigeria as a saying to suggest that excellence is the only acceptable option. On the surface, it sounds very positive, motivational almost. But in the context at hand. Listen to Dizzy. Nigerians they carry life. Do you see the fear in that statement? Hmm. There is fear there. Carry last. As if there is a pitchfork at last place. A lot of us don't think about this shit. We're locked into this structure of build, build, build. Money, 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 money. How important is this money beyond $85,000 a year? Because it's just more of the same. It's a redundancy. Beyond 85K a year, it's redundancy. You're doing it differently, but it's, it, I mean, you're doing it in different branding, right? So right. maybe it's not, maybe it's not uh, uh, Hilton anymore. Maybe you're at Four Seasons, but it's the, essentially the same four walls. Uh, right. You still have the same car, but maybe the model after it or the model above it. So beyond a certain threshold of income, you're really just punishing yourself for, uh, I guess, a negligible difference. Do you feel like maybe materialism? Yes. And how big it is in our community or in our society mm. or in our culture, really, as Nigerians? Do you feel like this is one of the reasons why we're really big on that? Because it it, it would feel to me like if Nigeria to carry last, and I'm always trying to be you know ahead of the pack, then I have to be so heavily focused on how I look and how people perceive me. Right. So people must perceive me as a successful um, entity, as a as a successful brand. Right. So materialism is one of the byproducts of this kind of mentality, because it doesn't matter if no one can see it. So visibility is important. Right. I've made all this money, but if no one can see it, which is why Nigerians spend on outwardly facing investment as opposed to inward we need observable purchases, right? No one's buying a, some fish company in Japan, right? Everyone instead wants to buy a Bentley because it needs to be observed that you're doing well to be accepted. So it, it comes with the territory of needing to perform. Excellence and performance is no good if no one can identify it. So yeah, so that's it drives materialism and consumerism in that space as well because you got to show them. We, we got so damn, you know. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Pepe them game. <laughs> Pepe them, you know. <laughs> um, now, I, I think I, I'm not saying it's all bad, by the way. Um, I'm saying it, this is what it is. What are some? There, there have to be positives. Like, so, what are some of the positives 
to this mindset, if you will, this, I guess, productivity on an objective level, like the work is getting done, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, though. The counter argument is we're not doing it where it matters. We still don't have fucking light. Mm. We still don't have good roads. The ba- so we found a way because of this mentality to skip over the bare minimum and spend instead on the extraneous, on the on the unnecessary. So this damage, which should be positive, because yo we work so fucking hard, so therefore we have good roads. We work so damn hard, therefore now we have great lights. Therefore we have less crime. It's actually we're channeling all this progress into the wrong things big house 22 cars you know what i mean like guys fix the road you're on my guy <laughs> you know what I mean? so so and this comes with the territory so i'm so happy we you mentioned this because this uh, toxic excellence that leads to materialism leads to materialism over uh utilitarian uh, necessity Oh, I would rather show off than fix my underbelly. So this could also be tied to the reason why we have bad governance, because we have an incessant need to be excellent, and it's apparently only in favor of personal gain. There's rarely ever thought given to the greater good of the community Because in order for me to outshine you and everyone else in the community, I have to be on the extreme end of success while those around me are poor. You know, the biggest house in the neighborhood with the 200 kVA generator while everyone else is in darkness when there's a power cut. You know, how else are they going to acknowledge my status as the most accomplished? If everyone's doing well, my opportunity to outshine and oppress them is limited. The, you know, Pepe Dam, a.k.a. Flex on him concept is only potent if there are less privileged people to Pepe or Flex on. So as a politician, there's really no incentive to better the lives of those around you. I mean, how else will they accord you the respect that you're willing to lie and die for if they can afford to sleep in the same level of comfort as you or if they can drive the same cars as you or also take their families on international vacations like you do like why would you empower the people around you we have some of the smartest people on the planet and it's crazy to think that there's absolutely no incentive to be progressively seeking infrastructure that will benefit the people it's almost like When you really think about it, there's no flex in fixing roads for everyone. The flex is in buying G-Wagons, you know, to navigate the potholes. There's no flex in providing good health care for everyone. The flex is in, you know, traveling to London or the U.S. to see doctors. There's no flex in fixing the education system or trying to educate the masses. The flex is in sending your offspring to Harvard and Yale and Oxford and Cambridge. One of the things that really sticks out to me and the question that I asked is, you know, they have mm-hmm. to be like some positives. Right. And I mean, you mentioned earlier, hey, you know, we're doing things in America, you know, where some of the most, you know, brilliant people in college, mm-hmm. the most successful people at business, you know, where the most educated immigrant group in the U.S. 
by far. <laughs> yeah. And those would be seen as positives. But what I'm hearing you say is that they're still more negative than positive because even if you accomplish all of these things, if you're not able to focus on the things that actually matter, mm -hmm. then what are you doing? Right? Then it's, mis it's misspent success. Yes. Then it's basically yeah. money misroad, right? Right. Wow. And it comes down to selfishness. One of the things about other countries that I've learned is there's a degree of selfishness. Then there is, there is a majority of selflessness just in, just built, baked into the, the culture and the people in that culture. So I think it comes down to mindset. And I definitely hope and believe that it's getting better with the younger generation, but I, I couldn't tell you that for sure, bro. <laughs> I, think, I think it's getting better. Um, and it's definitely going to be better with the next generation, especially because we have a lot more Nigerians. Well, maybe the most at any in history that are mm -hmm. exposed to other cultures now by virtue right. of that a significant population have actually left the country. Right. And they're right. in, in so many different places in the diaspora now, and we're absorbing other cultures and we're starting to see these things. I actually almost could say that this conversation is only happening because we were able to step away from home and be in a different culture and have a totally different experience and be able to sort of compare and contrast those experiences and say, hey, what exactly is it about Mark and Johnny? that makes their lives different from Tokwe and and Hawan and understanding that it's about meaning, right? Right. It's the thing that drives meaning in a society. When you say toxic excellence, like it feels like that's where everyone's headed without even knowing that this is the driver. The driver is that, hey, you must be successful if you're not successful. And it's not an and average success is not okay. It has to be over the top. Right. It has to be. If you're not over the top successful, then you have not accomplished anything and you will be treated like shit. Right. Yeah. It's, it's also poisoning the dating scene, which is another big issue. It poisons everything. It's not just, mm. I mean, it poisons everything. It's yeah. the reason why a parent would know that their child is, is stealing or is a criminal. Mm and be willing to look the other way right because the or celebrate them all that matters, right <laughs> or Maybe even celebrate them. them yeah yeah uh, my son that big man i mean to the point where ill-gotten wealth no one cares about the source right all money is green in nigeria i was about to go into that so uh one of the things that separates nigerians from the rest of the world let's use america because we're here now in America, it's not all the same, right? If a person does a stupid crime, everyone around kind of just pulls away from the person. If ever, someone is stealing, they will use one of the big con men, like, uh, what's his name again? Madoff. Yeah, let's use Madoff, for example. Uh, Madoff in America is removed from the tribe. Oh my God, you were stealing? Nah, we don't fuck with you like that. That's America. That's most countries. Us, we pull him in. We give him honorary fucking degrees. We call him doctor and we marry him to our children. 
that's what we do to our criminals. That's one of the main differences. There's greed here in America. Mad greed. What we don't do in greed, with greed in America is we don't high-five it. We can look the other way. We can persecute the crime, but no one's high-fiving you for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that in itself is incentive. It's negative incentive. So you could say that a lot of people aren't criminal in in a lot of countries because the gain is I, I will gain a lot of Ferrari, but nobody will really want to talk to me anymore. And that in itself might be a deterrent, which is why when in America, again, like we said, because that's where we live, in America, if you do a crime, you show up about it and you kind of just wash the money and assimilate. You don't go and say, bro, MAGA, I don't pay, and everybody high five. You don't do that shit. You know what I mean? You'll spend it alone and possibly in jail. So one of the problems we're facing is that we glorify the crime post, you know, post MAGA, if you will. We're enabling it as boys and girls, probably especially the girls, are rewarding the guy who destroyed families to get what he got or destroyed roads, right? So let's take my mother's death, for example, right? Um, I don't know if you know the story in detail, but we were driving to my school, which is Ibnedion, right? And on the road to Ibnedion, from Lagos to Benin, something happened underneath the car. I'm not sure what it was. Something disconnected. And this is a car that was three months old, brand new from zero miles. Uh, so it should have been perfect. So they took it to the mechanic the day before we traveled to do some service. And that was the end of that. It could be argued that the incompetence of the mechanic screwed with the car that would have ordinarily been just a brand new car. Mm. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that when this thing gave out, whatever it was that gave out under the wheel and the driver was busy swerving to keep the car on the road because he wasn't top speed in a freeway. Mm -hmm. There should have been what America would have had was a, like a guardrail, a guardrail on the road that led into a cliff. So we essentially drove off a cliff. Now in America, that would have had a guardrail in Nigeria. Instant guardrail was a Ferrari somewhere in the world. Mm. Somebody who should have put a guardrail to protect drivers from a fucking cliff instead bought something nice for himself. This is pervasive in invisible ways until it starts to claim your family. Right? Mm. Whether it's healthcare, whether it's roads, whatever it is. Nigeria is surrounded with death traps of omission. It's not a it's not an objectively dangerous country. It's not like oh people are in your house every day with guns. It's not that kind of war zone, not really. But we're surrounded by danger of negligence and greed, just staring us in the face twenty four seven. The one that everyone is familiar with is my mother's example is too grave, is Napa, because. Of a handful of motherfuckers, you get to sleep with mosquitoes. Right. Ji saying, and we don't see it anymore. It's part of it. Instead, we've adjusted by buying generators and diesel. That's somebody else. We're giving money. Right. And we're going to high five the same person who put us in that position where we're having to buy diesel and enrich his younger brother. And we're going to high five him still. 
You see what I'm saying? Right. No other country would have done that. They would have taken him out and burned him. Town Square. Wow. <laughs> but we're high-fiving him. We're throwing pussy at this dude. That's who we are. So, yes, we can blame the, the system itself. But individually, we have some fixing to do. And, and you and I aren't saying we've probably high-fived some idiots too in our time. Right? Yeah. And then you did... Yes, you did say that we we came here and saw differently. But let me tell you something. In my own story, it was different. I saw then left. I said, I can't do this. Because I was very close to committing my first crime when I said, no. So what happens? I was dating a girl uh, who, who kept kind of breaking my heart. I was really in love with her. Kept breaking my heart to roll with the 19 boys around, right? Mm -hmm. so I said, uh, and then it turns out her, her ex-boyfriend had a conversation where he's like, oh, this is your new boyfriend. In, in they do rounds. And she was like, no. And they were laughing at me, kind of, right? This is the story I heard. Um, and so I was in this scenario where I was like, oh, I'm not doing crime. I'm the laughing stock. Maybe I should try it. And then I think I was one week into um, inquiring on how to get involved. But I said, absolutely not. This is not who you are. And I got the fuck out of there. So I think from the day where I said, absolutely not, to me being in America might have been another month. Wow. Yep. I was this close to being one of those dudes, right? No, no hate to anyone, no judgment. You know, you, know, you can end up on... Uh, FBI list as the guy who took a million dollars, whatever you want to do, do your thing. Right. But me, I didn't want to do it. Right. I didn't want to cheat people so that I could be in a relationship with the hot girl. I didn't want to cheat people so that I could be seen as that dude. Because that's, if it was worldwide, I would have said, okay, fuck it, let's do it. But I realized very early on, that it's only us who do that shit. So I was like, I'm not fucking with these, with these standards. And then I came here and then I started to find myself. So I think one of the things you said to me, um, about maybe five years ago, I can't remember was, Oh, I didn't know you had certain talents going on in you. I was like, in what society am I allowed to pursue talents versus cheating? or versus crime, or versus, you know what I mean? A whole bunch of other things. In Nigeria, we have academics, and I really, really respect the people who chose the academic route. And I, I've spoken a lot of negative because that's the topic today. Mm -hmm. But if we want to talk positives, Nigeria does have a fuck ton of amazing people who, who don't mess around with that crime shit. They went to school, they got their degree, whether it's abroad or in Nigeria, they went to companies and they're leading companies. These are the people that I look up to as Nigerians. I, I fell in love with people like that because of the contrast, right? Mm -hmm. So the, Nigeria is not full of scammers. It really isn't. It's a 0.2% representing us harshly globally. Our global image is scam. It and I think hurts my soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think true. one of the reasons that is also is because those are the ones, those are the people who are most visible, right? Um, you mean the, the scammers? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because they have the money to be visible. You don't you don't get a master's and work in an oil company and all of a sudden have a Bugatti. There's no visibility for the good path. The straight and narrow doesn't have visibility. You can't afford it. Mm. By by its very definition, straight and narrow will get you a nice life, but it's not noisy. Mm. It cannot be noisy because it cannot purchase noisy. So the noticeable ones are the ones, obviously, that are doing yeah. for the most part. And they're also driving the culture. Nobody notices the doctor, the doctors, no, the, no. Nurses, <laughs> the, the, the engineers, they the don't. IT folks, you know, nope. and all of the amazing people just across the world now, especially, mm -hmm. doing amazing things who come from Nigeria. All we see mm -hmm. are the guys on Instagram, right? You know, the right. husbands who, you know, Dizzy and I continued for a while, but I think by now you've gotten the general gist of it. The incessant pursuit of high performance has both positive and negative consequences. The positives are experienced as Nigerians doing amazing things globally, achieving success against any and all odds. But the negatives the ugly side of being so driven to succeed at all costs is something we rarely give thought to. And it's quite unsettling when some of its dark, unintended consequences are unpacked. A consistent argument the Nigerians all over the world make is that our biggest problem in Nigeria is bad leadership. That if we can somehow get the right individuals into leadership positions, things will improve. And I don't doubt it. But while we drive towards that, I think we should all also consider making some personal changes. Changes that if we all individually commit to, will significantly improve outcomes for all of us. Changes to the things we teach our children to value. Changes to the way we think of ourselves and our relationship with our communities. Changes to the way we perceive the least fortunate among us, the ones among us that unfortunately carry last. If we pay attention to the ugly side of some of these traditions, my hope is that it will lead to more care, more kindness, and more joy for all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. Please subscribe, leave comments, and continue to share this podcast. Feel free to holler at me on Instagram or Twitter at LDTheDawn. That's at E-L-D-E-E-T-H-E-D-O-N. For more episodes, extended discussions, exclusive content, or partnerships, please visit www.NigerianAmericanPodcast.com. My name is LD. Thank you.